pray with me. Father, you are so good to us. Your faithfulness towards us surely is great. Lord, I ask that as we open up your word today, that you can teach us something new. Lord, please help to calm my nerves this morning and help me to faithfully teach what your word says. Lord, if the words that I say are of you, I ask that they will be used and remembered. And if they are not of you, I ask that they will be quickly forgotten. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. It is good to be speaking with you uh, this morning. Uh, Now, we are currently in a series that is going through the book of Hebrews. We've been talking about some really cool things all throughout this series. Uh, Our series is titled, Jesus is Better. And we've been talking about how Jesus truly is better than everything. Now, in this series, we have seen many interesting things between the Old and the New Testaments. We see how Jesus has fulfilled everything from the Old Testament. We have seen that Jesus is a better deliverer than Moses. We see that Jesus is a better priest than the very best priest in the Old Testament. And we have seen that Jesus made a better atonement than any of the other animal sacrifices that were offered in the Old Testament. Jesus truly is better. And it isn't only that Jesus is better in all of these things in the Old Testament, but Jesus is better than anything that today has to offer as well. So with that, we are going to open up to a very cool passage today. Uh, We are going to be in Hebrews 11 to all the way to chapter 12, verse 3. So uh, please open up your Bibles to Hebrews 11. That is page number 1211 uh, if you're using the Pew Bibles there. Now today as we open up the word, we are going to see that the author of Hebrews is challenging the readers to look towards Jesus by living by and live by faith no matter the outcome. To look towards Jesus and live by faith no matter the outcome. Now we're not going to be reading this entire passage this morning, but we'll be referencing it as we go, so you might want to keep it open and keep it handy as we'll be coming back to it. So starting off, we're going to read the first three verses here. So uh, please read with me, starting in verse 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Now, I remember when I was in middle, uh, middle school and high school, and I'd go to youth group, and we would be in small groups, uh, just the normal youth group thing where we'd talk about our weeks, talk about the lesson, and we could, you know, get counsel and uh, advice from our small group leaders. Now, it was in one of those times that I remember uh, saying something and uh, just needing some sort of advice, and the small group leader Uh, I don't remember who it was. I don't remember exactly what my my issue was at the time. But I remember my small group leader says, you just need to trust God and have faith. That always kind of bothered me because I don't know what that means, right? It sounds really good. It sounds good to trust God and to have faith. But at that point, it was just kind of this abstract thing of how do I trust God? How do I have faith in this moment? It never really made a whole lot of sense to me. Well, hopefully today we can answer that and figure out a little bit more about what living a life of faith looks like. 
So right off the bat, in Hebrews 11, verse 1, we get a definition of faith. Now, we know it's a definition of faith because it says faith is, so we'll follow what that says after that. We see it says faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So we see that faith is actually based on a couple of different things from this definition. Faith is based on looking towards the future and what we hope for, but it is also based on the present and the reality of God's existence today. So as we keep that in the back of our minds, as we keep that definition in the back of our minds, as we go through uh, the rest of this passage, we're going to get to our first big section here. Now, the rest of chapter 11 of Hebrews is famously called the Hall of Faith. And we get a bunch of Old Testament heroes uh, that did big acts of faith. And these people mentioned were like the heroes, the big-time people, the spiritual giants of this time. Now, we're going to break this passage up into a couple of different uh, sections to get through all of it. And the first section is going to be from verse 4 to verse 12. And in this section, we are going to see that faith is persevering even when we don't know what is coming next. In this section, we see people like Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham, and they all show tremendous amounts of faith. But the important part about faith is you are not sure what that outcome is going to be. So look with me in verse 8 and 9 here. It says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of the promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. So we see Abraham obeyed God when he was called to go out to a place that he didn't, that he, from, from a place that he knew well to a place that he didn't know at all. I think we have to remember that this wasn't like today. It wasn't like he could go to Google Maps and check out the fastest route or see, uh, are there any jobs available in that area or how are the neighborhoods? What are, are there any good restaurants, right? He had no idea. He went completely by faith. And so he said, everything I know I am leaving behind for the unknown. Now, you see, each of these people in this section stepped forward in confident action and intensity and confidence and with no reason for doing so other than God told me. And that was reason enough for them. Now, think about it like this. Think about you are at home in the middle of the night and you are awoken to um, a fire. Your house is on fire. You wake up. There's flames all around you. There is smoke everywhere your family's safe. I don't know where they are, but they're not there. So you're, you're alone in this house, and it's, it's on fire. And you try to go down to the stairs, and there's, the stairs aren't there anymore. So you're like, all right, I've got to find a window. So you find your window, and you look out, and there is smoke everywhere. You can't see a thing. But then you hear a voice, and it, it, it says, I'm with the fire, fire station. Uh, we see you. You have to jump. Jump out the window. We will catch you. Now, you don't see the firefighter. You don't see them there. But what you have to do in order to be saved here is step out of that window. You have to take that action to step out of that window in faith, not knowing exactly what that outcome is going to be. Now, each of these Old Testament heroes of faith did not know what the outcome was going to be. 
but they trusted that God was calling them to act, and they acted because faith is persevering even when we don't know what is coming next. So as we move forward in this passage, we get to our second bigger section here, and we, we get, uh, it's going to be from verse 13 to 16. And in, the, in this, we are going to see that faith means we look ahead for something better. We look, faith means we look ahead for something better. Now, at this point in the passage, the author kind of pauses their list of the heroes of the faith, and they focus in on Abraham and his family, as Abraham was promised to become a great nation, but they actually all died before that could come to be. In verse 13, look with me, it says, uh, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. This here shows that God's promises, the promise of a land, of a great nation, of a multitude of descendants, which would involve kings and the blessing of a nation, would be fulfilled in a time after Abraham and his immediate family passed away. Yet look at what the author says at the end of verse 13. At the end of verse 13, it says, "...in having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth." What we see is that Abraham and his family and all these other heroes of the faith that we read about understood that their loyalties did not belong to some land or some nation. Their loyalties belonged to the God of the universe. They trusted that no matter what, the promises of God would come true. It might not be today. It might not be next week or next month or next year or 10 years or 1,000 years. It didn't matter. They trusted it would come true true, because their deepest desire was God himself. What the writer here is trying to get at to the audience is that even though things may be difficult at the moment, and they may be facing persecution and uncertainty, the promises of God must be embraced even though their fulfillment lies in the future. Life must be lived in our challenging world in light of a better heavenly country that will be experienced in the future. God desires for his followers to live with this kingdom-focused mindset. Because as Christians, we believe that this world is about as bad as it's going to get for us. We have something much greater to look forward to. And in that, we have faith and we have hope. Now, continuing on this passage, we get to our biggest section. We get to verse 17 to verse 40. Now, in this section, we will see that faith means we stick through the difficult moments. The very first sentence of this section mentions how Abraham offered up Isaac as a sacrifice, even though the promise to Abraham was that this nation would come from Isaac. That wouldn't have made any sense to Abraham. That would have been difficult for Abraham to comprehend. He's like, how am I supposed to have this great nation if my only son is to be sacrificed? But he listened to God. He had faith that God could raise Isaac from the dead if that is what was needed. Then later on, the author talks about Moses and how Moses refused to be considered part of Pharaoh's royal family. That, that, that would have been the easy thing to do, right? He was he's born to some slaves, and then he is raised up in a royal family. I think it would have been really easy for him to be like, well, I'm just going to sit back, relax, be part of this royal family. 
But what did Moses do? He knew what God was calling him to, and he knew it was going to be difficult, but he did it anyway, and he stuck through it. Then later on in verse 31, it says, By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Now, Rahab is probably the most surprising person mentioned here since she isn't really a main character in the Old Testament, but her faith is among the greatest here. Rahab made a deliberate break with her own people to take the side of the invading Israelites. And her action not only contributed to the fulfillment of God's purpose for his people, but it also shows us something really cool. It shows us that God will use anyone who steps out in faith. God will use anyone who steps out in faith. Because of Rahab's faith, she is remembered today as someone who showed tremendous faith. Her name is among those of Abraham and Moses, and that's incredible. That's what her faith did. You see, in each of these heroes of the faith mentioned, death confronted them as they were stepping out in faith. Each of these people remembered what God has done in the past and gave them faith in their present for what was to come. Because faith is looking back to how God has been faithful in the past, so you can remember that in the present to move towards a future that is filled with the hope of the promises of God. Now this all brings us to the end of chapter 11, but before we move on to the first couple verses of chapter 12, I want to share a little bit about Hebrews, about how Hebrews 11 uh, defines faith. We see a couple different things. First, we see that faith involves confident action. You see, most of these examples in Hebrews 11 involve a person acting confidently in accordance with what God says. By faith, Abel offered up to God a better sacrifice. Noah built an ark. Abraham obeyed by leaving a familiar place and later offered up Isaac. And the list goes on. In verse 32 to 34 in chapter 11, we see a bunch of different action words. We see these people of faith did things like they conquered and they enforced and they obtained and they stopped, quenched, escaped. True faith acts out in bold confidence. The next thing we see in uh, Hebrews 11 is that true faith is action taken in response to God and his promises. Faith spurs one on to act in accordance with God's truth. These people in Hebrews 11, they step forward with an incredible courage and confidence and with no observable reason for doing so other than God is speaking to them. God manifested his desire to them, and you know what? That was reason enough. Therefore, we are called to an active, confident Faith that finds its reason in the invisible God. And the last thing we learn from Hebrews 11, which I think is probably my favorite here, is that faith involves God working extraordinary miracles in the lives of ordinary people. The popular name of Hebrews 11 is the Hall of Faith. And I think this causes us to think of these inductees as especially heroic or just like the best of the best, or they've always been a lot better than us. People who are essentially just really, really good, and they've always been really, really good. And if we stop and we reflect, 
And we think we, we think we realize this list is a lot more than that. Some of these people are less than admirable. We can just go down the list. Noah got drunk and lay naked in his tent. Abraham lied about Sarah a couple times. Isaac lied about Rebekah. J- Jacob was a deceiver. Moses committed murder. The people of Israel were a bunch of ungrateful complainers. David was an adulterer. And the list goes on and on and on. Real faith must be expressed by real people who have yet to reach the heavenly city that we are promised. Real faith must be expressed by real people who are broken and damaged by sin. Those who show real faith are those who are searching, those who have, yet, who have not yet arrived. They are heroes not because of what they have done, but because they worked with God in his perfect plan. This is good news for us because we too can be heroes of the faith when we step out in confidence and work with God to bring his kingdom to this world. As we're moving on to chapter 12, uh, 1 to 3, this section is kind of where it all comes to fruition. This is where it all comes together. So follow along as I read chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Look into Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So what we have seen in chapter 11 is what it means to live by faith. But now what we get to see in these first couple verses of chapter 12 is a concise guide on how to successfully complete the Christian race. The author of Hebrews now moves the spotlight from these historical figures to the current readers. Now it's our turn to take the place of these heroes of the faith and continue the race. But we don't run this race alone, we see. The stands are filled with a great cloud of witnesses who are the heroes that we see in chapter 11 and all of those mentioned that, and also those who are not mentioned that have lived by faith and have finished their own race that have come before us. Now they stand and cheer on those who have taken their place and encourage them with the perseverance of, you got this, keep going, it's all worth it, go till the end. So getting into this, in in verse 1, the author writes, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now here the author is urging the readers to press on, to move forward because of the legacy they have from the witnesses of faith that have gone before them. By saying, therefore, here, the author is linking up with those heroes of old to the current readers. We are now joined with those faithful heroes of the faith that have gone before us. The author almost makes it seem like we can just reach out and touch those heroes who lived by faith because they are surrounding us. They are everywhere. There are so many people who have come before us who are cheering us on. There's a stadium filled with the faithful followers of God who are rooting us on like how a father is rooting on his son who just got his very first baseball hit. 
There's a pride and an excitement from those heroes of faith as we continue to take confident action in faith. I imagine roars and cheers from the crowd whenever we make a decision that is stepping out in faith. You just shared the gospel with someone, the crowd erupts. You prayed for someone who, who is really struggling, the crowd goes crazy. You care for your neighbor who is really, really struggling, going through something really difficult. The crowd goes wild. Continuing, continuing on here. We see the author tells us to lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Like an athlete who would be successful, the hearers must get rid of anything that is hindering them from winning. Like how an Olympic swimmer shaves their arms and legs so they won't be hindered by that leg and arm hair while in the pool. The author is calling us to get rid of anything that is causing us to stumble along the way. If the hearer refuses to put the thing that is causing them to slow down away, they will get entangled and not be able to finish the race well. Therefore, if there is something that is hindering you from running this race of faith well, we are called to get rid of that thing. Now this, I, I, when I think about this, I think about when I went to school at Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. And in Chicago, uh, every October, there's the Chicago Marathon. And they would actually run past our campus uh, two separate times. It would be on like mile 7 and mile 13. So there'd be ru- thousands of runners going by. And during the race, as the day went on, as the race continued, you would see things like gloves and hats and light jackets on the side of the road. Because as the temperature of the day got warmer and these racers' body temperature got warmer, they would throw off their uh, gloves and hats and these light jackets and just throw them to the side of the road, never to be returned to again. Maybe because some college students came and took them, but they never actually returned to them, right? Then when, as they were racing, they're like, in order to finish this race well, we need to take these things off and get rid of them so we can actually finish well. So if there is something that is causing us to sin, something that is causing us to not run the race of faith well, we are to throw that thing off and never go back to it again. That thing, whatever it may be, is going to entangle us. It is going to stop us from running well. So examine your heart and ask God and pray to reveal, that God would reveal what that thing is and throw it off immediately, never to be returned to again. Now in verse 2 and 3 here in Hebrews 12, it says, Look into Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Now we have an advantage to those heroes of faith from the Old Testament. You see, they were walking almost in blind faith. They were awaiting the Messiah. They they did not know what this Messiah was going to look like or how exactly the forgiveness of sins was going to happen. We, however, know exactly who that Messiah is and how our sins have been forgiven. We have a way that we can finish this race well, and his name is Jesus. Because our faith begins and ends with Jesus. We are called to look to Jesus as an example of how to finish 
this race. Because Christ has become the fully sufficient Savior who alone enables God's people to reach the goal of the way of faith. The story of Jesus actually closely matches the pattern of faith that was established in chapter 11. You see, his earthly experience, Jesus' earthly experience was of suffering and death. He was ostracized from human society. But he was willing to endure all of this because he could see beyond it to a future joy. Jesus is is our example of how we treat the race that we are on. Jesus being fully human and fully God, and in his humanity, he was able to lay aside everything that would have entangled him and live a perfect life. If we take Jesus as our example, and remember that as a human, Jesus did not give in to the sin, we realize we too can have victory over that sin that is trying to distract us. We look to Jesus as our ultimate example. You see, we are not called to run this race alone. In fact, we cannot run this race alone. If we try to run this race alone, we will never finish it. The heroes of the faith that we read about in chapter 11 did not run this race alone. They clung to God and had faith that he would bring them to the finish line. We are called to look to Jesus who has already won this race. We look to him and we say, you won this race for me. You went to the cross for me. And because you have won this race, I also have won There's a new movie about um, Giannis Antetokounmpo and his brother's life on Disney+, and it's it's called Rise. And Giannis's father in that movie, after uh, one of his brothers, uh, they were playing soccer and they score a goal, Giannis's father says, one man scores, the whole team scores. That is what Jesus did. Jesus did all of the work. Jesus went to the cross and took on the sin of the world. He finished this race perfectly. So how can we finish this race? We cling to Jesus. Jesus is the one who did all the work. So how are we able to stand before God when that time comes and he asks, why should I let you into heaven? We say, because of Jesus. Jesus is the one who conquered sin and was the ultimate atonement for my sin. Jesus is the one who made me right in your eyes. It is only by clinging to Jesus that we are made perfect in God's eyes. So as we come to a close today, let us remember that we are called to look towards Jesus and live by faith no matter the circumstances. Because true faith includes a couple of things. It involves confident action. We see faith is action taken in response to God and his promises. And faith involves God working extraordinary miracles in the lives of ordinary people. And ultimately, the only way that we can finish this race well is by clinging to the one who finished the race perfectly, the one who endured the cross and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, Jesus. It is only by looking to Jesus that we can run the race and not grow weary or tired. Jesus is our source of victory, and we rejoice in that. We can finish the race not in our own strength, but by looking to Jesus and having faith in him that he already completed it and already won it for us. So as we leave here this morning, 
Let us live boldly for Christ. Let us step out in faith and proclaim what Jesus has done for us to those around us. Let us not be ashamed of the gospel that saves. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you gave us a way to finish this race well. Life is really, really hard. There's so many things that are trying to entangle us, but you have given us a way to finish it well. Thank you for your son. Thank you that you sent him for us. Lord, we ask that you can help us to live a life that is pleasing to you. Help us to step out in bold confidence and live boldly for you. Help us to look towards Jesus and live by faith no matter the outcome. Lord, as we go into this last song, help us to reflect on what your son has done for us. You are worthy of every praise. You are the only one who is worthy because your son is the only way that we can finish the race well. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.